0: Hello, I'm Keith Arthur and welcome to my Strange Boat podcast. Joining me in the virtual craft this week is Steve Cullen. Steve's a fly angler and guide, consultant and fly tyre who runs a fantastic website full of information as well as an outstanding blog. If there's anyone in this game who works hard on Steve, I don't think I've met him yet. Welcome aboard, mate. How are you? It's good to see you. Cheers, Keith. Lovely to see you. It's been a long time, buddy, to be fair. It has been a long time. I... I... I forget just how long there is between different meetings with people and of course with with Covid's not made anything easier and and uh, yeah but it's, it's good to talk now anyway and we've got uh, probably loads and loads to catch up with
1: Oh I'm sure buddy, definitely
0: uh, I, I mentioned your blog there and, and I'm going to, this is sort of in the middle really, I, I shouldn't really start here but I'm going to, it's intriguing that you're able to find so much interesting stuff to write about so often because you know i i have (laughs) have to write 300 words a week for angling times and 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 yeah okay and and but but blogging i don't do enough fishing to do a
1: blog now for whatever reason um but how do you manage it um i think given sort of my role in the past when i i did the when i worked for the magazine i quite enjoyed the the different attributes and the different things that different people brought to the table, and it's very difficult to get that in writing when you're out with someone. However, now that I've left that position, I've still got all these little stories and little methods and tips and techniques in my head, and to be fair, most of the stuff, most of the stuff that we learn, obviously we're learning it from other people, so although these blogs are written from a personal point of view, a lot of the blogs are information and tip bits and little gems that I've had from other people over the last 20 years, 25 years. Um, but it's becoming, because writing blogs is now becoming uh, part of my job, obviously doing some consultancy work, the the company that I work for obviously look for content, I get asked to write quite a lot about products as well. So I've got two different things there, you've got the techniques and the methods, which I like, I've got stories, which I love talking about. I love to write a story. So I've done a few of those recently with some uh, UK press. Um, But also doing these hints and tips. Basically, looking at ways in which you can become a better angler. And I don't think enough of us, you're like me, you're a little bit older. Maybe even just a couple of years older than me. However, (laughs) we grew up in a generation where we had literature... We had fantastic writers, we had people that could tell a fantastic story, um, whether that be in the weekly press or the monthly press or even with books. We grew up with that, and I think we've lost that now that you've got social media. So I think my blogs are more a case of here, have something that is something a little bit different to what you're seeing on Facebook.
0: I get you. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it, it is, it's true. It is, it is something that's mostly, if, if you're talking about Facebook or, or Facebook in particular, tends to be more reactive, doesn't it? People tend to yes. ask you questions and you respond. Yeah. Whereas the, the other forms, Instagram, obviously, you've got the pictures and Twitter, it is more formative, but it's restricted in size unless you can mess about writing it all down and taking a photo of what you've written. So, yeah, you, you're right. But, Obviously, I know you are currently living in England, but you're not from there originally. Where, where did
1: it all start for
0: you, mate? Where did your, your love of fishing begin?
1: Uh, I was young, very young. So I was brought up in the Scottish Borders. And if you know anything about Scottish geography, you know that the Scottish Borders is home to some amazing rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the top one being the River Tweed. However, we've got a couple of tributaries from that. We've got the River Tevia and we've got the River Ettrick. We've also got the Yarrow and the Trick, But we also have a wealth of hill locks. And these hill locks are absolutely teeming with trout. So probably when I was four or five, I had a, a spinning rod set up bought for me by an uncle. that was bought from Woolworths, if you can remember that shop. So it was a, a black rod, a black plastic spinning reel with white nylon that was as thick as your shoelaces um, and a little bronze map. That was basically it. And I used to throw that across the current on the TV, hoping for a brownie bigger than my finger, um, which rarely happened. Everything was tiny, to be honest. And then my uncle, it was my uncle Graham, he used to take me up to the, the hill locks, and we used to fish either bramble on the way up to the 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 locks. This was a great part of it all, actually, because it, it kind of added to the adventure. So before we actually went fishing, we had to get bait, and we had to nip into this farmer's field it was a bit aggressive to say the least but we would nip it there in the morning to dig up his dung heap for brambling worms so we used to get his brambling worms and then we would go and hit the hill locks now we used to fish worms on the bottom or we used to fish worm underneath a, a bubble float and i can remember the first proper trout i got it was a a, a lot called acre now which is up the back of um hike which is a little town in the borders famous rugby town And um, it was about half past eight in the morning. We got there for six. And we'd throw... My Uncle Graham and I had chucked out our our cast with leads and a worm. They're brambling worms. And I can remember my rod bouncing. I had my rod resting against a stone on the bank. And I can remember the tip bouncing. And I looked at my Uncle Graham. Because usually, because he's an adult, he would pick up the rod. Hook the fish, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he says, that's yours, Stevie, that's yours. So I picked up the rod and just the feeling of something alive and a lot bigger than I was used to on the end of the line was incredible and it was um it was an epic battle to me it probably lasted all the 30 seconds or a minute um before I dragged this poor brown trout of about a pound up the bank in because we never used nets in those days everything was killed because it was eaten absolutely and um so we got it on and we got another two trout that day but mine was the biggest but I killed the fish, obviously, and I had it in a, a fisherman's sort of greeny-brown nylon bag with rusting buckles, metal buckles on the end, and I I took it to my papa. So my papa, that's a Scottish word for grandfather, and I presented it to my papa, and of course he made this huge fuss at this massive fish that his little grandson had caught. And I think, although the maps on the river throwing the little spinner was exciting... I think actually catching something that pulled back was what got me hooked. It was just that the thought of what, what, what's actually in there. It's like Christmas. I've always described fishing or fly fishing, any kind of fishing to be like Christmas. It's that excitement first thing in the morning. The presents are there. You can see them. Sometimes you don't know if they see them because they're tucked in behind other presents. But you don't know what you're going to get until you actually open it. And I think that's the same when you hook a fish that first take is awesome it's phenomenal and it's like what is it you just don't know and that's what does it for me and it and it it continues to do so i'm glad to say
0: that's true every time the float dips or the line tightens or you feel that slowing down of the retrieve when you're fly fishing you never know
1: exactly you, know,
0: you might be in a, in a lake that's only stocked with rainbows but there'll be some yeah. perch in there there'll be a pike yeah. or two in there you, know, yeah. you you never really know and it is it is um it, that's fascinating be I mean, possibly more in the sea than it is in freshwater because you can get more of a clue in freshwater whereas in the sea it can be literally anything
1: but yeah but i think the other thing is keith the caveat to that is not only what is it? Is Like you say, the rainbows in a, a, a lake's one thing, but it's the size. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Fishermen, and you'll have heard the old um, story, first of all, we want to catch all the fish, then we want to catch the biggest fish, then we want to catch the trickiest fish. Mm-hmm. I go fishing to catch fish, pure and simple. That's all I go fishing for, to catch fish. But there's always something nice. It doesn't matter if you're fishing for stocky rainbows or trout in a river or grayling, or a perch in a canal, you always want the biggest one.
0: Yep. If, you, if you can possibly catch it that's what you want yeah. and we always yeah. talk we, you can't help yourself talking about the biggest one somebody was uh, talking about Sion Park which you've probably been to I don't know it's a fly, yeah, I fished it. fly fishery around the corner from me it's about, about four or five miles away and the, um, it's the first commercial fly fishery I've ever fished I'd fished Rutland I got invited to Rutland I didn't start fly fishing until the early 90s and um, my, my wife bought me a season ticket um, for Sion Park, which was handy because it meant I could go for an hour and I wasn't under pressure to catch anything. When you're paying mm-hmm. 40, 50 quid for a day ticket for four fish, you want to catch four. You know, and it, 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 it's, not a, it. it's not a limit, is it? it's a target. Like the 30 yeah. mile an hour sign on the road, you want to do 31. And it's the same uh, uh, for me at the time. So this having this luxury of a season ticket meant I could go for an hour and if I caught one, I caught one. If I didn't, I didn't. If I caught yeah. four, I could I could catch up to... 50 fish if I wanted to because that was what my season ski was and um It was in the days before they cleaned it all out, and it was quite coloured. And the fish would often follow right to the edge, and most people didn't realise that. So they'd they'd see their leader knot coming through the water, swish it out, and cast out to the middle again. And I followed my fly right into the bank. The leader knot was up against the top iron. I'd keep lifting, lifting, lifting. And there was this huge swirn, and I won a 17 pounds, 12 ounces. So now I've told you how big it is. So that was was the second biggest out of Sion Park at the time. Now, I appreciate... That the fish I caught was probably stocked at seventeen pound fourteen, and it had lost two ounces. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter at all. And and, um, and I, I delivered it to a friend of mine who um, who preserved it for me. And, Very uh, good. Yeah, yeah. He, he, the paint job leaves a little bit to be desired, but uh, <laughs> the, the shape is ab- and size is absolutely yeah. perfect. And he did it in the classic bow-fronted case with Very gold leaf, right? So, yeah, you, you're right. We 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 do like do like to catch the biggest one. So, and and well, you're, you're on about the subjects of the Scottish borders. I remember once going for Sky to do a film at uh, Coldstream mm-hmm. on the English side of the Tweed. Um, Catching the coarse fish. The coarse fish had gone off there from what they used yeah. to be. I mean, it used to be huge dace and huge roach. They did, yeah. yes. And we, got, we got there a few years late, as we usually did. And I got a couple of days. didn't catch any roach, caught a couple of dace, and lots and lots of spotted things. And crossed the bridge... And it, it was literally like going to a different country because everybody talked yeah.
1: different. Talked different. It, it, you're literally a stone's throw away from yeah, each other, but it's a different accent. A completely different. You've gone yeah. from being almost Geordie. Geordie, yeah, that's right, to, to, almost, to Scottish borders. Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. it, it, that was really bizarre. So, so you've mm-hmm. got a fish on worm. Um, mm-hmm. did, you, did you then, like many people do, decide to try fly fishing because catching them on worm can be a bit easy?
1: No, no, nah, not at all. It's a, it's strange how it happened. It was an English visitor to the borders. So, and I, I want to try and give you a little bit of context to this. It's very difficult unless you've seen it. So, where I lived in Hoyk, I lived opposite the, the Pringles mill. So, the mill that used to make Pringles jumpers. It was probably one of the biggest employers in the borders before everything got moved to China. And I lived across the road. Literally, there was a river, so there was the mill then there's a river, then there was a main road, then there was my house. When I say a main road, this is the Scottish borders, this thing is literally, you could step across it. Um, So I lived at an area called the Pen End, and opposite this Pringles uh, knitwear mill, which was absolutely colossal, they had this stunning river, and where I lived, there was a. You would call it now a storm drain, but it wasn't like a storm drain that you get now that pumps sewage, etc. This was a proper storm drain for rainwater. And the, the when it flooded, you would get a flow of water in from this tunnel, so it created a deep hole. Now, the majority of the river around that was two to three foot deep and crystal clear. Where I lived, um, it wasn't flat. You kind of describe it as flats, but it was houses on top of houses, you know? Yeah. And I lived... Um, on the top, on the very top. So I could look out my bedroom window and see fish in the river. And the particular fish that I'd like to highlight was the grayling. The amount and the size of these things does not bear thinking about. Um, However, when we were young, I was there from when I was like 11 till 15. These fish were... No, I wasn't 11 till 15. till... Eleven. Then I moved across the road to my granny's, sorry, until I was 15, but still on the same river. And um, these, the, the amount of grayling in this river, to anybody now, is pretty much inconceivable. There were so many. And they were considered scumfish. All the trout anglers, all the salmon anglers, they the, the basically say they were dirty fish. And if you've ever taken a grayling out of the river, and you smell them, you've got that smell of time, However, they would also go, if you got a grail in a net, and you might have seen this now, anybody that fishes for if the if they, they thrash about in a net too wrong, it gets a little bit of this white foam, white slime. Yep. So they were considered dirty, and it was as if they had a disease attached to them. So as children, this has got to sound terrible to your listeners, but trust me, we all did it. So as a young boy, eight years old, with a spinning rod, we used to buy trebles from the pet shop treble hooks and we used to foul hook grailing for people's cats um, two or three years we'd do it on the river and I kept thinking to myself these fish can't be that bad anyway we thought they were scum fish everybody hated them and we treated them as such an Englishman, one year it was in June so it was lovely gorgeous weather in a pair of Barber green thigh length waders, so absolute gent. um, And a shirt was using a rod that I'd never seen before. I'd seen salmon anglers, but their rods were big, heavy and cumbersome. This guy was using a a, a fine rod, a little line, and he was swinging flies um, from a ripple into a little hole, maybe two, three feet deep. And I watched them rattle out, grailing after grailing after grailing. And and I, I found it mesmerizing. So I spoke to him. And I got to see his flies, he was using wet flies, he would call them like water hen blowers, um grey hens, uh woodcock and hares, like that kind of stuff, but small, really small. The flies that I'd seen up until then were um Peter Ross's and medicine flies from the pet shop. We used to pay fifteen pence for them, I used to fish them on bubble float and fly. And um so he taught, he explained to me what I was doing and what the Graylin were doing, as in the Graylin were feeding on an emerging insect and all he was doing was replicating this emerging insect. He would swing the flies down where he could see the shoal. The flies would drop in the water and he would lift his rod like an induced take. And the grilling couldn't help itself. So he explained all this to me. Um, but I didn't have a fly rod. So I tried, I tried it with these flies from the pet shop and it never worked. But I did manage probably September of that year, so at the end of the trout season, September of that year... I'd cobbled together two spinning rods to create a fly rod, a salmon rod from a, a salmon reel sorry, from a stepdad, um, with some fly line on it, which was just horrible and cracked and split. But I had like um eight feet of maximum line, and I would put a bubble float on the end of it, and I would swing it into the current with a couple of wet flies, decent wet flies from the pet shop, but not like this guy had. And I could catch grayling with it. And then when we got a flood, I could fish exactly the same ta- ta- tactic, but take this float off and just use the line to free line worms or maggots into this pool where the flood water came in on the pen end. And I could watch the line for takes. It was um, Because it was calm where this, this flow came in, it created like a little eddy. I could basically high stick my rod. We had no idea what high sticking was back then. And watch as a grail and would he'd feel the line judder and a and would take the fly. But it's it's hard to paint a picture of just how many fish there was in the TV and how big they were. And to be fair, Keith, I could say exactly the same for the salmon and sea trout. The place was absolutely awash with fish. Game species. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you mentioned the the rudd there. I can remember one year I must have been nine or ten and these little goldy bronze bullets turned up in the TV at the pen end, and it must have been two hundred, three hundred strong, and we were catching them with bubble float and fly, and that was Rudd. Yeah. They only lasted one season, then they disappeared again.
0: That's weird. I wonder where they came. Yeah, from.
1: yeah. So they—I wonder if they maybe came up the Tweed from the Tweed into yeah. the TV. Yeah,
0: sounds like somebody might have put them in from a garden pond or something where they weren't necessarily. There was too into. many. Yeah. It was as
1: if it was as if. Um, I mean, there was hundreds of these things, and they only they were only there for about a week, two weeks, and then they disappeared.
0: <laughs> Who knows? That's fish. They got fins on each corner, and they use yeah. them, don't they? Yeah, that's that's intriguing. And and you mentioned grading and snagging them, etc. It's not that long ago yeah. they were despised everywhere. Course that's anglers right. didn't want them because yeah. they didn't count yeah. in club competitions, or yeah. they weren't really coarse fish. Game yeah. anglers didn't want them because they weren't trout or salmon, and and they were despised and taken away. I remember reading articles by several people saying, "Oh, I went to one of the Grayling clear outs the other day. I kept two to eat and put the rest in the freezer for pike bait." And, and unreal, yeah, it, it really is. It, it, they they were they were not liked at all. I remember once somebody in, in one of the um, one of the London Anglers Association clubs fishing the the LAA stretch of the River Avon at Britford <clears throat> caught a grayling... Um, that would have been way bigger than the current British record. Well, yes. About the yeah. si- same size as the current British record. Putting it in his keep net, weighing in, and then not only being disqualified from the match, oh, but expelled from the club for having a grayling in his keep net when they didn't count.
1: Oh, dear.
0: That, and that's that's going back in probably... The mid '60s, I would guess, so over mm-hmm. f- f- about fifty years ago, fifty-five years yeah. ago, and, and, and yeah. a lot has changed. It's, a, it's only probably thirty years ago that some of these, especially the, the chalk stream fisheries, thought, "Hang on a minute, some Let's people, pick some, money. some people really <laughs> want to catch these." So we'll allow fly fishing only for grayling during the trout fishing close season, so we can stay open then almost twelve months a year. We'll only have to shut on the fourteenth, last days of the fourteenth of March. Because they come under the coarse fish season, then we can start again on April the first for trout, and and they and then some others even thought, why don't we let them use float gear? Why don't we yeah. let them use maggots? And and so it went. And and there's a stretch of the, a, a lovely stretch of the test that every so often I'm invited down to have a day on, um, that ha- that is a, a a syndicate fly fishery during the trout season and salmon season and a syndicate course fishery during the fly fishing close season and they have <laughs> trout out days so so the float the, the the syndicate members are invited down they take the trout out put them in stews for wow. while the course fish season's on feed them and put them back in again. There's, like, most of the tra- tra- That's chalk a test. It is, yeah, but most of the, most of the chalk streams down here are fishing for stockfish anyway. That's, right, you, that's you, right. You're lucky to catch a few wild ones. You go to the very top end, you might catch wild ones. But we all know fish migrate upstream before they migrate downstream. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, there's there's big old stockies everywhere. It's nice when you catch one that's got slightly different spots and about a pound. Oh, there's a wild one. There's oh, a wild yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's always Isn't it an amazing thought, the, the corner that we've turned in the terms of graylin. So now it's no venerated but certainly a lot more people want to catch a grayling. It's become it's become an additional string to your bow come the winter time, uh, rather than small waters. And that's only really happened probably since um, just the turn of the, the millennium, really? two thousand yeah. I would say. Yeah. Everybody really got into it. Yeah. But you mentioned the the chalk streams there. I can remember when I first came down here, so that's two thousand five I was paying £15 to get on... Oh, my God, what's it called? Uh, I can't remember. A stretch of the test. Anyway, a stretch of the test, and George's old boy that Gillies on it, it'll come to me at some point. Where well. Oh, yeah. And I think now it's 60 quid a day. Yeah, yeah. And you can't get on. You need to be booking it well in advance.
0: Yeah, that's a lovely stretch. The Blackwater is close by there as well, one of the test yeah, tributaries. Yeah, gorgeous. And, and um, an old friend of mine had some lakes uh, that border... The black water, he had a stretch of the black water running through his fishery. That was uh-huh. really nice. That was a lovely place. John Hardley, lovely, lovely man, and a, a super fishery. But so when did, so that was the start of fly fishing. And from yeah. there, you decided that you needed a proper rod. Oh, b- before we go there, <laughs> you, first of all, one, you've invented the bung. Haven't you? Well,
1: no, I don't think so. I think I was copying other people. <laughs> You'd
0: upset Martin Introna because you're fishing wet flies under a float.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, he loves, he loves it, really.
0: <laughs> and, and then you've got, um, now we've got things like Tenkara and... and That's right, and, and Euronymphen. French leaders, et cetera, That's it. Specialist yeah. tackle for Grayling. Yeah. Specialist yeah. tackle. Yeah, you know, I, I know yeah. The, the first cast I had, or the first fish I hooked, using a French leader... Um, was on the upper upper reaches of the um, the Tay, I think. Yes, it was the Tay. Wow. And um, the first thing I was a salmon.
1: Wow. Yeah, on a four, you get a nice huddle with that.
0: On a four-weight rod. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 it was on tight, filming it as well. It was on tight lines, and, and it eventually snagged the, the, the top dropper, snagged in a rock as it went up into the weirpool. I would have got it otherwise. I, I would definitely yeah. have got it. If I'd only been fishing a point fly, I'd have landed it. But saw some f- fantastic grading that day. So, so when did you get your um, when did you, you get your fly rod, and when did you start thinking about uh, f- the proper fluff chucking?
1: Um, like I say, I had a cobbled together one, sort of pre or just coming up into high school. So I live into thirteen. And then I went through a bit of a troubled period in my life, so the river sort of took a back seat for a wee while. But I came back to it properly with Augusto gusto when I was about 17 or 18. Um, but nobody was really into it. I was just into it on my own. And at 17 or 18, there was none of this. The still water boom hadn't happened in Scotland then. So when I was 17 or 18, we were talking 88, 1988, 89 things had started to happen down here but in Scotland we were a little bit behind the curve um, so I was fishing the river but I wasn't fishing it properly not at all and I can remember I got asked to go out with my sister's boyfriend and a few, fr- few friends to fish the tweed and these guys rocked up with other their dad's ancient spinning gear and I rocked up with a fly rod and I caught two stunning grail and everybody was like, how did you do, how did you do that are you? it was like magic to them and um for that day on for the river the river fishing took a back seat because I went to a place called called I got invited in a car so I lived in Gala Shields then I still had friends in Hoyk I got invited from friends in Hoyk to go and visit a place I want to say Aberdeen but I'm not sure it was but I think it was called Waterford and it was Scotland's answer to Deaver Springs I might be wrong with the name of the fishery but anyway oh this is terrible when I tell you this so this was Scotland's Deaver Springs and everybody was like super excited about it so we jumped in the car and we drove I'll tell you a great story about Deaver Springs in a minute but anyway we drove all the way up to Waterford me, a guy called Skunk and mother mate Shane Kelly and we were all super excited we'd heard all these stories about big fish there was no such thing as social media or mobile phones so would never seen pictures we just heard about it you know um, so he gets up there and he come into this sort of driveway, just is a crappy little driveway that somebody managed to put some rough cast on the top of. And it was full of cars, it was full of anglers, and there was one lake up on the left and one rake right in front. The lake in front, I could only describe it as a large garden pond that had been walled off, um, and maybe three or four feet deep. And the water was a horrible, dirty brown colour. Anyway, that was the Big Fish Pond... And I caught a fish, it must have been 11 pounds, something like that. It was stupid, hideous. And I've actually got pictures, I've got a picture of me holding it. And back in those days, I was into the whole football, casual, hooliganism thing. So I've got this really horrendous chippy jumper on, like a big knitted woolly jumper, holding this horrific fish up to the camera, and a stupid hairstyle as well. But I was over the moon, I think I was 17 or 18. So that was my first big fish venue, worse than the pond with the wall around it, to the left-hand side, they dug a hole, two acres square, and they'd lined it with black pond liner. And you were literally ten yards away from the guy next to you, casting a fly in it. That was my introduction to stillwater fly fishing. Um, as it was for so choose? many
0: people there were plenty of fisheries <laughs> like that in in going it's, back to the middle 70s yeah, to the mid 80s yeah. there were a few of those it
1: was, it was horrible
0: just just with 15 pound trout
1: yes it was just it was horrific mate and everybody rocked up there wasn't a really um now you've got all oh, the gear like I, I do a lot of work for guide fly fishing and they've got vision they've got sage and they've got reddington And everybody's dressed super cool. We look like soldiers going into battle nowadays. If you see a guy in the river, it's like, look how cool he looks. Um, But back then, it was just like, he would rock up in a pair of waterproofs, a pair of trainers or a pair of wellies, a cap where i named brand if you were cool, and just crap, really poor gear. Just poor rubbish. Nice donkey jacket. Um, Yeah, yeah, and everybody used to use... So the big thing in Scotland was, nobody had fishing bags, We had, um, if you knew a postman, he got a postage bag. Yeah. And he could keep all your big fly boxes in. (laughs) But yeah, it escalated quite quick for there. So we caught up, the Scottish fishing scene caught up quite quickly. And some of our our better, natural looking waters, obviously people would come in, they would take up a rent on the water and they'd put um, rainbow trout in it. So quite quickly we went from real poor fishing to exceptional fishing in no time at all really really good you
0: had perfect environment for those rainbow trees oh it was just right? phenomenal
1: and and it still is sadly we've lost some of the bigger ones um, we used to have a really good fishery called North Thirds, and we had another one called Portmore uh, Logan Lee would have been another so they're all 100 to 300 acres um, and we've lost those sadly so the majority of Scots we've got Lakeham and Teeth Leven, which is just in my opinion the best fishery in the world Loch Leven. but everybody travels to England now and even now without putting a downer on things we're getting to the stage where we're starting to lose those as well there's just mean, not well, enough people
0: oh i see what you mean yeah there, there's not enough you know hands on seats to keep the fisheries going yes i, I know there's a yeah. couple of the big reservoirs down here are feeling that That's kind it. of pinch as That's well it. and and it's still when you look at it um compared to Almost any other kind of fishing. I suppose you could say if you went wild water fishing with lures for coarse fish mm-hmm. on places where you don't have to pay anything to fish, that's cheap. Um, yeah. But I, I went and bought some bait the other day to to, to do a bit of fishing, and and yeah. you know thirty quid change hands very quickly. Wow! And then you yeah, go to the average money. day ticket fishery now; it's going to be at least a tenner. You've got mm-hmm. you know bit of squirt to get there, so it, it's. Some of the big reservoir fishing, even with a boat between two of you, isn't an expensive day, especially when at the end of it, you're likely to have, uh, especially from the reservoir, some very, very edible fish you know yeah you don't necessarily just been released but uh, that's right you get they've been in the water a month it's it's like a smoker you don't have to stop smoking very long before your lungs are okay with a trout they don't have to be eating natural food very long for them to
1: taste okay yeah you're right the the reservoirs have got a real good habit of growing Mm. on fish and i think we've lost we've lost Probably in the last fifteen years, and I, I bang on about this all the time. It's one of the things I've wrote a blog about, and it's one of the things that I bring up on social media quite a lot. When the reservoirs were good, and trust me, they were when they were good, they were amazing. But when a reservoir was good, four to six fishing a day was good fishing. Exactly. Um, I, I used to come down here, yeah. So, and round about the year two thousand, two thousand one, we used to. So, that, what's that? Twenty-one years ago there would be a squad of us who would come down from Scotland and we used to fish opening weekend, we would fish again in June and we would fish again in September, 1st of September which is my birthday. So we would do three three-day stints and even just going back that short length of time, I can remember in September going up to mountain and catching and fish averaging 3.5 to 4 pound with a fish of six to eight pounds not being unreasonable. We don't have it anymore. Because we've got this drip, uh, triploid or diploid stocking, they haven't got the propensity to get that size. And a really good example of that was about six or seven years ago, might even have been longer than that, Keith. Uh, about, i would say six or eight years ago, there was a me and my, uh, a friend of mine called David Hoppy. We both had rainbows out of Grapham. His was just over nine pounds. Mine's was just under nine pounds. He got his on a nymph. I got mine's on a buzzer. So proper fish with proper fishing. A fish that size hasn't came out of that reservoir until this year. One of my friends had one nearly double figures. So that's a period of eight years where a fish that size hasn't been seen. I'm Mm. talking rainbows here, not brownies. It's unbelievable, Um, really. and, And it is a case of... Grapham is one of the most, if not the most, popular reservoirs. Taking over Rutland now because of the shrimp feeders. How can you fish for that length of time with that amount of anglers and not see a fish that size? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, six pounders, eight pounders, double figure fishing, bigger came out every year between September and October. Every year, which is funny. You're not there anymore.
0: I was introduced um to fly fishing by Rick Nunn at Tackle Up in Bury St Edmunds and and we went to Rutland And I'd Uh never cast a fly rod before. And um, he paired me up on a boat with Graham Barry, who used to be Roy Marlowe's shop manager in Leicester, who's a a real... Good boy, Roy. Graham Barry is the biggest Mickey taker in the universe. So you can imagine how much fun we had. At one stage, I was jigging um, a black buzzer beside the boat to try and catch the perch that was swimming under the boat. But that's a a different story. I did catch a couple of trout. But Rick used to have these three days. Like you say, start of the season, June and September. Um, for yeah. his customers. And I got invited on yeah. them and, and I, I sort of learned my way of fly fishing with them. And it was very unusual for somebody not to catch either a double or very close to a double. Yes. And I, I think yep. I, I was there one day when a guy had three trout for something like 24 pounds and one of them was, Jeez. it wasn't a stocky, but it was, you know, and he caught those dapping with live um, daddies. Wow. Uh, and yeah. and they, but they would certainly in the September one. It would be unusual if a double-figure brown and yeah. sometimes a rainbow... Rainbow, ...was caught yeah. over the wee beds, up the North Arm, you know, the Dickinson's around there. They're fishing That's over it. those wee beds, that you, and you'd see them, you, you know. You'd yep. see them cut, like submarines. So I, I didn't realise that that was the case. So I, I didn't realise yeah. that that kind of fish had dropped off. Have, have they dropped off, do you think, because of the amount of predator fish now in there? I mean, they've both had no. Xander introduced that weren't there, or Xander have appeared. They weren't introduced. They came naturally... Um through the river no. systems. It's
1: a so it's a it's a really simple the, the reason it doesn't happen anymore is purely and simple down to stocking policy. Yeah. So the stocking policy is now a triploid is so much cheaper than a sex fish. The mm. problem with sex fish is um they lose condition or according to the fishery owners they lose condition and they go off the feed, which they do, they do. However, a sex fish has got a greater propensity to recover after ingesting the eggs or the semen, whatever and it'll recover, and it'll winter, and it'll winter again. So these fish that we were catching that were... An example would be a fish that goes in at a pound and a half at September one year. The next year, when you get that at the end of the year, September again, it's got to have doubled in weight, mm. minimum doubled in weight. So you're looking at fish that have been in the reservoir. Just say they get stocked at a year, year and a half. A four-year-old fish some biologist biologists will, will keep me right on this but a four year old fish in a reservoir I would imagine would be somewhere in the region of six to eight pound yeah. if not bigger
0: and what a wild fish what a wild fish that is to catch
1: Good. yeah but we don't they're, they're just the brownies can do it for some reason the brownies can do it because a lot of them when they do stock them they've not had that blast uh, radiation so they they're proper sexed fish um So the 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 water that I've I've been fishing more lately has been Pittsford because Pittsford has got the propensity to grow on brownies. It doesn't get as much pressure from fly anglers now, although the 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 spinning boys absolutely annihilate them. Is um, the rainbows, but for some reason the rainbows are quick to go off lures, um, but they will come back feeding properly on fly. Uh, patterns later on in the year. I'm talking now, this mm-hmm. time of year. the year. Um, well, so the the old days, they would have
0: been shut, wouldn't they? The reservoirs would have
1: been shut now. They'd been, have they'd been, fi- been finished. They'd have mm-hmm. been finished long ago. So the majority, I can remember, it was end of September. I think it was October 15th, um, Rutland shut. Mm-hmm. And all water, water shut. The only one that's, they, that opened, it actually opened early, so you could actually properly fish for winter fish, was Hanningford. They did a trial for a couple of years, down in Chelmsford and me and my mate drove down and we fished it in February didn't go fishing in a boat in February it's a mistake trust <laughs>
0: I, me I did it once I did it once oh. I, I was there with Charles Jardine and the fly line was stiffen as it, stiffening as it went oh out.
1: yeah I could believe it it yeah. was
0: just literally freezing the light. fly line was coming through the rings going too cold with ice crystals coming off it it was too cold Yeah, yeah. too cold Julian Hubbard caught some though
1: no? he's, he's a fishing machine <laughs> fishing oh, machine yeah
0: so where are you doing your fishing now then if, if if you're are you still enjoying the big reservoirs do you still like them I, I, I am yeah
1: go on yeah I am um, I, I was a really 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 big fan of Draycott. um Ifer's got it bang on so Ifer's philosophy is at the end of the day it's a customer service industry so the fish go in anglers catch them and they, plen- they catch plenty of them however there's so many anglers fishing it it's not getting arrested those fish that get put in didn't get a chance to get big they just don't get a chance anymore in the past they used to I used to go out there and target four five six pound fish um that's not the case anymore and to be fair that's pretty much the case for the rest of the reservoirs as well however what the rest of the reservoirs offer, and when I say the rest I mean the angling water ones is the chance of brownies um, and these things really switch on come October. So they know when they're out of season. However, that's the time to catch them. I'm a great believer, and people people might say otherwise here on the podcast, but what I would say is these are stocked fish. These are not wild fish. These are brownies. They don't have a closed season. Yes, they have them on a river. However, this is a stocked fish. This is not natural. It does not belong in the reservoir. I have no issues fishing for brownies yeah. at this time of year. No. None at all. If I accidentally catch one, that's not my fault.
0: No. no I, I did my first ever brownie from Rutland came out on November the 2nd.
1: And Sounds about right, yeah, Keith. And it was, it
0: was, it, oh, what a pristine fish that was I mean, it was I don't know it was probably three and a quarter pounds no certainly wasn't any smaller than three pounds it was a gorgeous looking fish and I don't mind putting fish back you know I'm I'm a, yeah. I'm a dyed in the wool course angler I've got no yes. compu- No compunction at all about bashing a rainbow in there because that's what it's been yeah. in, the, in the reservoir for me to do so I don't yeah. mind killing those at all but a brownie in those days would have been yeah. stocked in Rutland as a fingerling it would have probably gone in at four or five inches. So it was, for all intents and purposes, a wild fish. It wild fish. It would be creating, it would be producing some more wild fish if yeah. it got up into the streams for, for, for the ensuing years. So I was very happy to put it back. I'd have hated to have caught it during the season and had yeah. to have knocked it because in those days you did have to. You had to kill yeah. what you caught. When you had eight, you had to go home. Um, so, yeah, do,
1: do you think that catch and release has had an effect? On, on no, not fish th- numbers. On, 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 uh, I say no. I don't think it's had an effect on the big fish because they can handle it. Um, I think we mentioned the, the reservoirs there. So more and more of the competition side of things are looking at measuring fish or counting fish, whereas in the past it was always catch and kill. Don't get me wrong, there still is catch and kill. Um, but I think you definitely get to a stage... I see it a lot because of fish competitions, although no, I've done it for a couple of years. If, an example would be if I go out practicing on a water, I tend to find three areas that are holding fish. On practice day, these fish are quite, I wouldn't say easy to catch, but once you get a method honed in in an area, you can catch them steady away. Um, once you get a big competition, would be the Angling Water or an English National Final. Once you get to March Day, Unless they stock it, which they've done in the past, they might say they haven't, but they have, um, the fishing can become very, very tricky. Very tricky. And it's those boys that can think a little bit differently or dare I say it, and this is often the best way, um, I don't think it's a secret because most of the good anglers do it, is go away from everybody else. Sneak away and do your own thing. I've always been one in competitions where if my boat partner will let me, I'll go away and do my own thing, away from the crowd. I just think it's far more successful and you're not covering the same water as everybody else. Mm -hmm. But you definitely notice it, just say, you'd booked to go on a fishery on the Monday. That fishery's been battered Saturday and Sunday. The Monday fishing's difficult. You go on a Friday, the Friday fishing's easy. And you'll see that quite a lot through the season on the big reservoirs. Um because there is so much catch and release but I do have to say we have become so much better as anglers at catch and release Um, you guys have been using barbless hooks for such a long time we've only sort of locked into that in the last 5 years, 6 years to the extent where the majority of guys I would say that are at a decent level a good fishing level most of their flies are tied on barbless hooks now Mm. Um, so it's just a case of getting the fish in the net grabbing your hook whether that be a buzzer, cat's whisker or an imp and literally slipping it out of the fish's mouth. Mm. In the past, I've seen people wrestle, wrestling fish in the bottom of the boat trying to get a barbless hook out, gripping them with the net so that they don't move trying to get a barbless hook out and then throwing them back. Mm. Um, thankfully, we're a long way from that now and uh, I, I think we need to move away from that because that side of the sport, although you were brought up with it, I see it for what it is now and I can see why people that are anti-fishing look at it and think, oh jeez, come on. It's evolving. You know? Yeah,
0: it is evolving. And, yes. and you've only got to look at the numbers. I, I haven't looked this year, strangely enough, but I used to be a quite quite a, an avid follower of the numbers at Ravensthorpe. Same. Which, yeah, same. Which you could see there, there were obviously lots and lots of fish being yeah. caught plenty of times.
1: Very That's successfully,
0: right. because the, the returns were some... I don't know, I can't remember the, 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 the ratio. Big numbers. But it was a it was certainly a multiplication of the number of fish that went in. Yeah. The, the sort of three and a half times the number of fish stocked for being caught, which is which mm-hmm. tells you that catch and release is effective Does even work. with trout. And, and you know, pe- yeah. people give... Um, people, I think, they put a lot more... Delicacy on trout than there really are. Um, one, one of my friends caught one over seven pounds three times in the same morning from one stretch of the test. The same fish, it yeah. was definitely the same yeah. fish he, on bread, which is, you know, we were fishing for coarse yeah. fish. And in the end, he had to move because he kept catching the damn thing.
1: Yeah, uh, instead of the big yeah.
0: roach that were there as well. But, yeah, so, so I think there's, there's a lot. I, I don't think trout are quite as sensitive as, as people give them credit for. However... I agree. In the old ways, at least, we can't remember um, Pete Cockwell inventing his release device. Was it a hook'em or I can't remember? Catch'em catch release. Catch'em release, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so that, which which worked and still works perfectly. Yeah. So you, your competition fishing, you said you've not done it for a couple of years, it, or, or did I miss anything?
1: No, no, I've, I've, I've really taken a back seat. Uh, I've, t- I've took a back seat from it all because I, I managed to get into the world team. So I've done everything that I wanted to do. I might think about it at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, I've kind of taken a back seat. Everything went a bit pear shaped for me. Come COVID, I was in a very good position, lifestyle-wise, and unfortunately due to COVID and other circumstances, um, I kind of lost everything pretty much overnight. And kind of have to had to start again, so that's been a real blow, to say the least. Absolutely. However, I'm kind of getting back on my feet now.
0: Oh, that's good, mate. I'm pleased to hear that. I'm sorry mm-hmm. that uh, sorry that happened. I wasn't aware of that at all. But that uh,
1: no, that that's okay, buddy. It, and
0: it obviously had a, a big effect on a lot of people. But uh,
1: yes, yeah, and,
0: and I'm glad. I'm glad that now you're you're at least looking like you're out the other side. So uh, yes, I, I think we've, we've covered the wild or, or stocks bit. Um, you're. I, I remember when you were a guest on Tight Lines. It was the first time I think I'd seen in the flesh a snake.
1: That's right. It's a blast for the past. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um they were fairly new on the scene at, at, at the time. And um, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I wonder if I'll ever use one of those. There's two things um, that I've not used so far. And, and you know me well enough to know I'm nowhere near a purist. I've never used a snake. And I've never used a blob. I just, okay. I just don't fancy. I don't think I've ever used a booby either. No? Again, well, no. See, when I was fly fishing a fair bit, you ledged with boobies.
1: I was going to say, if you fished Hanningfields when it was cold, I reckon you would have fished boobies.
0: No, I didn't. I go no, I, huh? I, no. I fished, I fished a nymph until McToomer caught two on an orange lure. Then I stuck an orange lure on, but I, I didn't. I, I've got a couple of boobies in my box, but I've never, never, yeah. been t- never been tied on. Um, yeah. But because I watched a guy fishing with them at Sion Park, funnily enough, really lovely old man, and he fished them on a two-foot leader and a sinking line, cast out, put his rod on the bench next to him and at his lunch, oh, and suddenly <laughs> the line to go tight. And, and i like, well, you know, I could go to the Thames yeah. and do that for nothing. Right. Um, That's right. But, but it's I'm, not fly I'm, fishing. I'm, no, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm, because I'm not a purist and I don't have to catch anything when I go fly fishing i like to catch them on my terms i'd rather catch them even if i do kid myself sometimes that a damselfly isn't a lure and it is really a nymph um which of course it is i've 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 caught you know damsel nymphs on dip nets and and they look exactly like the flies look but i don't think they go two foot under the surface at 10 miles an hour but that's i was
1: gonna say at that speed yeah
0: (laughs) that's that's a different story but um Do you consider yourself, because of your upbringing, more of an imitative angler, or are you not in the least bit bothered?
1: Um, It's funny, I'll give you a couple of wee stories here, I have to watch what I'm saying, because one of them involves a very famous fly fisherman. I prefer to fish slowly, which usually means fine tippet, soft rod and nymphs, or dry flies. Um, however I will use anything to catch fish like I say I go fishing to catch fish I don't go for the aesthetics of it I go to catch fish and if if you go for the aesthetics of it you're never going to learn anything if you go to catch fish you're going to learn something all the time because you're trying different stuff a great example is I'm part of a syndicate now and I have to say it's probably the best thing that I've been in for a long time I've got access to six lakes two of them are right next to each other of them are right next to each other and one of them is on its own. It's very private, it's very secluded and one of the lakes that I fish is gin clear, about 12 feet deep, full of weed, surrounded by trees, so casting's tricky. And it's probably the most technical fishing that I've ever came across outside of a river. And I'll go there, now bear in mind we've got a guest book so we can see who's catching etc. It <clears throat> gets stocked once or twice a year, depending. And I've been catching brownies this year and tigers that were stocked last October. I'm catching them now Hmm. on dries and nymphs in the edges. So, I think... So, the first... The answer to the question is I am not a purist. However, on my terms, I would rather fish for them in an imitative way. If I can't, then I'll go to the... I wouldn't say the dirty stuff because it's not dirty. I very rarely use snakes. I'm like you. I'm... I use zonkers. I'm not a big fan of snakes. I've used a zonker. A blob, a blob, you need to trust me on this, there is nothing, nothing more effective at catching rainbows than a blob. Mm. Absolutely nothing. And the best way to fish them is on the drop. So on a slow sink line or a floater, you want to grease up your floater at the end section and you want to fish it on a long leader and just drop it through the water, anything up to 8 feet deep and let it drop through the water and the fish will take it. Um, Another method on clear water is to fish a short leader, maybe 4 feet, Sunburst or Orange is the two colours and you cast out with a non-stretch fly line, let the whole lot sit on the bottom and it's amazing how many fish will pick it up, you're fishing completely blind and some people would call it ledgering or whatever, however, on pressured waters, a fly sitting on the bottom will take far more fish than a fly pulled. Um, and going back to your bit about any means necessary, I'm not going to name the guy, but I was doing a feature with a very famous fly fisherman, and we were up at Regal Trout Fishery in North Yorkshire. I've been there. North and, of yeah, like, Regal's yeah. All, Regal's awesome, and it's absolutely teeming with fish. Yeah. But when you get there, you know yourself, it's a big quarry, yeah? Yep. But where you walk down from the car park... You're basically casting out to the main lake. However, to the left-hand side, behind you, you've got the next bit of the quarry. And the lake, when it's full, the water comes round and behind you. So you basically go out in a little peninsula. And I'm trying to remember the guy's name. It's a, it's a posh name, Sebastian, or I forget the name of the guy that owns it. But it'll come to me, blonde-haired guy, lovely guy. He's had it for years. And he puts his stockfish in this little bit of water because you've literally got a little holding pool but when the water goes high you can just net them and pull them over the side so he came down to feed them with pellets and I'd been catching but I'm doing a feature on this guy so I've been passing him my rod and he's been playing fish and I've been getting all the shots I couldn't help myself fishing by the way and um, but he hasn't caught anything so he's getting more and more frustrated he's tried all my stuff nothing's working anyway there's a wind blowing and the way the, the quarry is, the wind was swirling and it was blowing the pellets out of the little shallow bit over the lip and into the main lake. <laughs> so the fish were coming up and taking the pellets. Next thing, he's running in his box and he's mucking about with all these um, here's ear suspender <laughs> stuff and everything. And he's actually catching and all these fish that are rising like stockies, which were basically stockies. Yeah. And... Um, he missed about four before he finally caught one he was like that's it he says i can put it away now i've caught one (laughs) but yeah you know the guy i know the guy we all know him very well
0: and and there are any means necessary and on features and and on tight lines Mm -hmm. i've done the same um fly fishing for carp um where i was taken by an extraordinarily famous angler uh, and told i would definitely catch carp on fly he omitted rod from the end yeah. because you used a fly rod and a fly line but there were two two pellets super glued either side of a Brilliant. size eight hook which which was great i have subsequently caught them on a real fly proper
1: um, ones crop, yeah
0: yeah and, and, and it, it's it, it's it's fair it's great we got a lovely feature and and we, we didn't yeah. hide the fact we were using pellets we didn't say oh no i'm gonna tie on a bloody butcher and catch one of these was, right. i'm gonna tie on two <laughs> bloody pellets and catch them mate yeah, yeah. That, that was yeah. it yeah that's um yeah, I I I went to Ray Gill once. I've got a great story about Ray Gill that I can't tell you here, unfortunately, because it's um Rude. No, 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 it's not in the least bit rude. Um okay. but it, it, it's it's something um that these days isn't broadcastable, but it's yes. it was something that somebody met it, it was I was when I was doing the, the radio show and um Somebody phoned up for some advice, and, and I told him he should try going to Ragil, and uh, he told me he wouldn't, and he gave me a specific reason, but we'll save that. We'll we'll, oh, we'll save that dear. for next time I talk to you, off air. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was something that I, the, one of the very few times on Fisherman's Blues I had to use what's known as the dump button.
1: Yes, which is yeah, to get
0: rid I'm of, sure. of someone. Yeah, get rid of something that's said that you don't want to hear said. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've just been trying valiantly to look for the man who owns Regu's name, but I can't.
1: I know it. I know it. I've got it. I've got it in my brain. I'm sure I have. Yeah. Well, it, is it Bernard? Oh, it could be. I've got a funny feeling. It's Bernard. It could be. It's. A, I know. It's a posh name. Yeah. And the way he pronounces it. Bernard. Bernard
0: oh not Bernard, yeah, not yeah, Bernard. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah I'm sure it's something like that he's lovely he's such a nice boy he's had it for such a long time as yeah, well yeah
0: so are, are you um, do you like going to the, the the stalking type waters and you mentioned Scotland's beaver um, uh,
1: we drove we, we hired a Corsa so the same guys that I went to that water with we hired a Corsa when Corsers first came out now bear in mind I'm 6 foot 2 and 14 stone mm. My mate Shane's as big as me, and Skunk's a little bit shorter. So, three men in a Corsa. We left at 10 o'clock at night. We got to, I want to say Andover. I'm sure it is Andover, yeah. Deaver Springs. Yeah,
0: it's new, So, man. we
1: got there. Yeah, so we got there. Uh, I think it was about quarter to six in the morning. And back then, that would have been late 90s. Late 90s? Maybe even earlier than that. 95, 94. So yeah, it'd have been earlier than that because I was in my early 20s and um so we drove down and if you knew nigel jackson yeah. back then mm-hmm. you knew that he never opened the gates until eight o'clock so we had to find a parking space um and we tried to get some sleep so we had three huge men in a corsa trying to get to sleep this is a higher car by the way i'll come to this bit at the end and um so anyway none of us can get to sleep there's a lot of snoring and Snoring and from both official. ends, yeah, yeah, exactly. Snoring from both ends, anyway. Opens the gates because we're first at the gates, and we've tied up all these fancy flies basically, damsels heavily leaded damsels because we can all we can fish, we're, we're good fishermen. And um, literally, four casts for fish, and it was 61 pounds, yeah. it was 60 pounds, but you had to pay a one pound fee for your card. And um, back then, so I was I went up to Nigel and I was like, um, I was quite bullshit when i was young i was like mate i've drove all the way down for scotland i've paid 60 quid and i've caught four fish and he's like you really should have took your time and i was like well what have I do now he says you can buy another ticket i says mate i'm from scotland i've just paid 61 quid i haven't got money for another ticket he says how much have you got i said i could probably want, rattle up 20 quid he says well give me 20 quid and you can catch another couple he says but don't keep them Keep them to your fish behind your trees so nobody sees you putting them back. Am I allowed to say that? Oh, listen, It's anyway, it's done now. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I've not said it now. he's not there <laughs> anymore. Uh, no, no, but he's still got his other place. Oh, yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I got on really well with him, and he was like, look. He says, you just gone to and do your fishing. And he says, I'll, I'll, there was a gilly guy there, he, but Nigel was still the big boss. He was like, didn't worry about it. So we've all caught our fish. And I've got a picture somewhere on my... Kodak camera, these dead ten pounders lined up like peas in a pod. Ten pound, ten pound, ten pound, ten pound. There you go. Have some of that. And um it was just so—it was so incredibly simple. It was embarrassing. Anyway, so we caught them really quite early on. Then I got another ticket. My mate Shane got another full ticket. My mate skunk got another full ticket. So we were sort of walking round the place. We were rods. Oh, this sounds terrible. We were walking around the place with rods and we were doing proper stalking. And you'd see a fish and you'd plop your fly in front of it. And you'd have to get it away in case he caught it because you've caught too many. <laughs> but then we started getting guys coming up to us saying, could you catch us some fish? We were like, yeah, yeah, not a problem. So we ended up getting a row off Nigel. Nigel has sort of let us do her thing. But he seemed we were catching fish for other people. Because these guys, these are basically city guys that had rocked up for London that didn't have a clue. Yeah. So I reckon the three of us must have banked, I don't know, 35, 40 fish between us. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that was that. And so we finished our fishing and we got back in the car. And we didn't realise it was a higher car and it wasn't starting and we were like none of us has got a clue about anything to do with cars Shane decided to open the bonnet and at the top of the bonnet had that felt covering yeah and it was soaking so we were putting our hands in it your hands were coming away and it was all greasy and it we'd ever get in the hired car bear in mind there was only about 250 miles in the clock when we got it they hadn't put the lid on the oil so oh. all the way down from Scotland all the oil was gushing out the car so, luckily, we filled up oil and we got all the way back home. So, that was my trip to Deaver Springs. And it's funny because I had a little bit of a relationship with Nigel then. So, I was in my 20s then. I met him again when I was in my 30s when I went to do a feature for the magazine. And we went to his other one. I forget what it's called, but it's a tiny little was it one. Seven Springs? Is that what it's oh, called no, I can't remember. It's
0: just down the road from Diva, isn't it? It's not far from Deaver.
1: Yeah, it's just down the road from diva yeah. but he's got this other place, yeah. this secret place that oh, nobody yeah. knows about where oh, he grows oh, the fish on. Yeah. And he says to me, he says, look, if you're doing a feature, it's me and Howard then, he says, come up here, and if memory serves me right, he hires this place out to the jet set, five five grand a day, and it's basically stocking ponds. And this water's about... That's it. Sutton, Sutton Springs, Springs was his. That was his fishery. Yeah. But he had this secret place that nobody knew about. And this is where he grew his fish on. And he let me. He let me and Howard go in there, and we were catching things up to twenty pound. But we seen this brownie, and he, I can't remember the name it. But he says, "Oh, that's called blah blah blah." Forty six pound was the last time it was weighed. Um, but that was his secret place, and seemingly the jets had got to fish that for five grand a day. <laughs> different world
0: you're right it is a different world yeah but it's alright you're talking about putting fish back I actually put one back on tight lines there that I caught I caught this huge brown and mm-hmm. um this last Is couple, that Latchlade or Sutton Springs Sutton Springs no this is Diva was or oh, a diva, diva diva. I, 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 there was a big brown in there. They wanted me to go down and catch it for tight lines. And I went down and I caught it. Um, couldn't see Very it. Very good. Couldn't see it properly. I could see a shape under the water. And I guessed it was it. And I put a damsel in front of it and figure of eight it, and Bosh got it. Ran up and down the lake with it, round a tree, yeah. round another tree, back up the lake, back into the swim, netted it. And, um, and I was with Pete Cockwell. And I said to yeah. Pete, look, I don't want to kill it, Pete. I really don't want to kill it because people pay day tickets to come and catch this I'm here as a guest and we filmed it obviously we stopped the camera rolling and I said give Stuart a ring and see see if he'll let me put it back so he rang Stuart It'd Never the fish hadn't been out of the water it was still in the landing net so Stuart came round he had a look at it he said look I'll take it out and I'll release it for you and we released it that was on the Tuesday and it was caught on the Friday at £21.7 so it was, it was oh, £21.6 so it was, a, it was a fairly big fish and the bloke who caught it on the Friday was for him and, and for me it was a fish of a lifetime but for him it was yeah. genuinely a fish of a lifetime and he may have it like my £17.12 rainbow from, from Mounted that, for, yeah from, from, from Cyan Park he may have it in a in a, an imitation Cooper case somewhere. Brilliant. So, um, you, you've given us already quite a few tips, Steve, and, and, and you said, you know, you said, how long is this going to last? I said about an hour. I don't think there'll be any trouble. Well, it's an hour. Um, I know. <laughs> well, 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 this time of year, there are people still going fly fishing, and it's brilliant at this time of year. I don't think it can ever. The, the only time it's too cold for catching rainbows is when the flies bounce off the surface. When it's anything cold, fly fishing is just the most fantastic um, fantastic thing to do in the very, very cold weather. So if, if you've got someone that's going to go out, uh, have you got a tip that you suggest? They're, they're probably going to be going to a, a, a still water, aren't they, to a stocked yeah. still water. They're not going to be going to a river because it's coast season. So is there yeah. anything you'd say, do this, not necessarily because you'll catch more or you'll catch bigger, but you might enjoy it more? <laughs>
1: so fishing fishing for me is all about the take now pulling lures all well and good everybody knows how to do it it's very basic Um, you cast it out you count down to the desired depth that you wish and you pull it back it's monotonous Uh, like I said before you want to try fishing on the drop it's a completely different way of doing things it's ridiculously effective but it adds another string to your boat in that you've got a skill that you've n- probably never used before. And the best way to do it is look for a day that's relatively calm. You don't want too much wind. You want a decent floating line that's got quite a heavy front taper. Now the reason for that is, one, you'll cast a little bit further. But two is it's got a bigger surface area. You want to get a load of muslin on that. So that it floats really, really high on the line now, itself, can, not on the leader. Yeah, yeah, on the fly line itself. Now you either want to, either want to fish uh, a couple of nymphs on a long leader, or, like I mentioned before, a single blob. Single blob takes some beating. Trust me, it takes some beating. But all you're looking to do is fish that on the drop, like you would fish um, buzzers from a boat. You know, if you were if you were on an anchored boat, you look to fish in that way on that method from the bank on the drop, and the best way to do this, Keith, and I'm trying to explain this, and maybe you can help me paint a picture if if it doesn't come across. So, you can watch the loop of line. So, if you held your rod tip two feet off the water, you would get a loop of line. Yes. You can watch that like a swing tip. Like a swing tip. Um. The, the other two ways that I do this, and I find it really effective, is I tend to use a white floater or a light-coloured floater. I uh, will wrap the end of my floater 10 feet around a Pringles carton, get a black marker, and you mark up one side of the carton. So you've got zebra markings on the end of your super high-floating fly line. That's your other indicator. If you didn't want to ruin your fly line, I did a feature a couple of years ago on fishing deep buzzers at 30 feet deep in Carsington Um, and you need calm weather for this so you cast out as you're about to cast you lift your rod back so you cast to 10 o'clock, lift it back to 12, drop your line and you'll see that you've got a circle in front of the rod tip you've cast out, everything will settle, you watch that circle as the line tightens and the flies drop the circle starts to close and as you get a take That circle's locked up tight. And it's one of these ones, if you can get your head around it and you can do it, the effectiveness and the sensitivity is far better than anything that you're going to feel at your fingers. That would be my three tips. Loop a line, um, mark up the end of your fly, and if you don't want to do that, use that. It's like a pile cast. You cast, lift the rod up, everything will drop, and you can create a little circle in front of your feet. But it has to be calm. It has to be calm. And they'll hang but on yeah, to it for, because
0: there's no resistance.
1: Yes, so it, like a, there like is no resistance. taking a
0: worm, they'll, if yes. it's on a feeder, they don't like it so much, and you'll get a little jerky that's box, right. if you can free line or fish it under a float, they'll take they it away. You don't feel anything. No, that's right, they'll take yeah. it away nice yeah. and slowly. Yeah.
1: So yeah, fish, fish on the drop, buddy. That's a great tip for winter still waters.
0: Well, I'll tell you what you can do. Um, because your blog is so excellent, give us your um, website address.
1: Oh, good one www.flyfishguide.co.uk and my blog's on there and um, you'll also get me on Instagram Steve Cullen Flyfish and you'll also get me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, am I also allowed to Punt my YouTube channel, but I do a lot of it, fly yeah. time so videos. Do exactly yeah. what you like. Yeah. So basically, just type my name in, Steve Cullen, and you'll get me on Instagram, you'll get me on Facebook, and you'll get me on, on YouTube, hopefully. Lovely. And hopefully, there'll be something in there that you can read, look at, or watch that'll hopefully give you a little bit of insight in what it is, what I do, and what I like to do fishing wise.
0: I know Guide Fly Fishing is the company that you do consultancy work for. Yeah. And you are also fly fishing guide. Are you still actively guiding? You still?
1: To be fair, because of the whole COVID thing, that's all went by the wayside. We were looking, or I was certainly looking to get a... The Anglin Trust do accredited coaching mm-hmm. now. I do, yeah. Um, this year it tended to be booked up because for some reason they gave all their places to the staff members at Anglin Direct. So my space this year was unfortunately taken. Which is And ideally, if you're going to guide properly he'd really you could do, you don't need it didn't get me wrong i can show anybody how to catch fish um but to be a fully accredited guide, that would be the plan. But you can only do that through the Angling Trust, and you
0: get your professional indemnity insurance much cheaper than if you were buying it yourself. Exactly. <laughs> then, exactly. then you know people think that the public liability insurance is enough. Oh no! When you're no. being paid to take someone fishing, you yeah. want the proper insurance, and that is professional indemnity insurance. Same as that's if you're teaching them, golf, cricket, weightlifting, whatever. Well, that, that's that's brilliant, mate. We've had some great stories today, but they are much better told. Them yes
1: that's exactly yeah. right I mean uh, there is there is a book in there and it's something I've talked about it'll either be about fly patterns or stories about some of the fishing journeys I was very fortunate uh, I've travelled quite a lot of the world and fished in some exceptional mm-hmm. places and I might add with some exceptional people yeah. So, yeah, well, the, the, there will be a book at some point, I'm sure.
0: And you've got some, you could do it through your flies, if you'll pardon the expression. Yeah. But, you you know, you uh, this, this this bland black spider, Um, I remember the day I first tied one on and blah, 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 blah and off you go. So there you are. That's, do, my, that's my little
1: starter for 10, is it? I'll do
0: your proofreading free of charge for you. Nice one. <laughs> All right, Sounds mate. like a plan. Yeah, you never know. But we, we will, and I say this to so many of my guests, and, and I, really, I really do mean it. If, if only we had 10 minutes to go fishing together sometime, we'll try, and make it, we'll try and make it happen. Steve Cullen, it's been fantastic talking to you, mate. I've missed talking to you for such a long time, and we mustn't let it go any longer
1: thanks for that buddy I really appreciate it I appreciate the chance to get to to blather with somebody else that's as passionate about fishing as I I am it's fabulous it's been lovely
0: Enormous thanks to Steve Cullen what a joy listening to his stories and thank you for joining us if you've not heard all of the Strange Boat series they're available now simply type Strange Boat Podcast into your favourite search engine or podcast app and they'll be there waiting for you I'll be back soon with another shipmate, so keep your eyes and ears peeled. Until then, this is Keith Arthur saying cheers for now and tight lines.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network. 18 plus.